Jake and Emily, thank you for that wonderful singing this morning. James chapter number three, James chapter number three. We have spent some time already looking at the book of James and we've made our way through the first couple of chapters and there is a reoccurring theme that we find in the book of James already and that has to do with the tongue, the mouth. We are thankful for the gift of speech. We're thankful for the ability to talk. I know that some of us talk more than others. Some of us enjoy public speaking. Some people, they had rather not speak in front of anybody ever. As a school principal for many years, I required for our graduation requirements that every high school student take speech. And I know the state of Indiana many years ago, they dropped the speech requirement for the high school diploma, but I was one of those mean principals who I saw the value in speech class. And I kept that as a requirement for our graduates from our school. And there was always the weeping and the wailing and the gnashing of teeth for the various types of speeches. But it was so good for me in high school, and I saw young people benefit greatly from a speech class. And I know that has to do with the semantics of speaking and being able to get up in front of people and make eye contact and proper gesturing and voice inflection and organizing our thoughts. All that is important because we need to be able to relate, to be able to speak to one another. We have been made a relational people. But speech class, at least at our school as a Christian school, it also involved principles of good communication and the proper way to speak as far as what comes out of our mouth and the tone and the type, obviously, of words that were spoken. I remember in pulpit speech class, homiletics, as it sometimes is called, our professors would require us, at least one professor in particular, he would require us to learn vocabulary words. That was part of our training as preacher boys, as we would prepare sermons, we were required to memorize sets of vocabulary words because our professor wanted us to not just be able to speak in a homiletic way with good speaking skills, but also be able to communicate God's truth in a way that was clear and proper and that we did not do so in some sort of street language or offensive slang type of talk because we were presenting the very word of God in our preaching. And I appreciated uh, our, our professor, uh, Dr. Wisdom, uh, was the one who I remember in particular emphasized vocabulary in our pulpit speech, our homiletics class, and I appreciated that so very much. But we've already seen in the book of James, chapter 1, in verse number 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. The end of chapter 1, verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction to keep himself unspotted from the world. And he prefaced that in verse 26 of chapter 1. If any man among you seem to be religious 
and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. So we are warned about our religion, the practice of our faith being in vain because of our inability to bridle our tongue. We betray our faith, we betray our relationship with God with one of the smallest members of the body. One of the smallest members of the body sometimes is the greatest offender. Matthew 12 and verse 34 reminds us that it's out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. So the tongue as a small member of the body is also a great revealer of what is in the heart. We come to chapter 3 and verse number 2 and we see that In many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, and able also also to bridle the whole body. So people will talk like they are a good person. They talk like they are a godly person. They talk like they are a good Christian. They may even make great claims to being good enough to get to heaven by their own good works. And it's as if James is coming back and saying once again, as we just looked at in chapter 2, it's by faith alone in Christ alone. Though our faith is exercised outwardly in the good works, after we get saved by faith alone in Christ alone, our good works demonstrate, give evidence of our faith, and he is reminding us that one of the great evidences of our faith, of our walk with God, of our spiritual maturity, is in the discipline of our tongue, the control of our tongue. Some people may boast to be great Christians, they may boast to be spiritually mature, but he says, in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, a mature man, and able also to bridle the whole body. So one of the key ways, key signs of spiritual maturity is the ability to control one's mouth. So we see, first of all, in chapter 3, that the tongue is an instrument of instruction. The tongue as an instrument of instruction. Chapter 3 and verse 1. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. These first two verses of chapter 3 warn us again, like in chapter 1 and verse 19, that we should be slow to speak. I won't rehearse everything, but... I will go back and talk a little bit about, again, what we talked about in chapter 1 and verse 19. That when James says, my brethren, be not many masters, he's referring to those who are in an office or a role of publicly preaching and teaching the word of God. That sounds a little bit discouraging. Be not many masters. It seems like, well, we should all be striving to be preachers and teachers of God's word. In one sense, yes, we're all ambassadors. We have the ministry of reconciliation. We're called to be evangelists. We have the great commission to go forth and preach the gospel to every creature. 
We are to be witnesses. In one sense, we all are, as commissioned disciples of Christ, to be spreading the word of God, to be evangelists in that sense, and preaching and teaching the word of God in that sense. Some have the roles in Sunday school or a, another capacity to be preaching and teaching the word of God. Some of us, as parents, we find ourselves in that role as mom and dad, particularly as dad, as the head of the home, it's a tremendous spiritual responsibility that we lead our homes according to the word of God, that we speak the truth to our children, that we're discipling them, and that we're loving our wives as Christ loved the church and helping her in her own walk with God. Big responsibility. But James is saying, when he says, be not many masters, he's once again going back to this idea of being slow to speak, that as a church... We must not ordain, call, or endorse one who teaches or preaches a false gospel or is otherwise disqualified from the preaching ministry or is mishandling the word of God. This is a big responsibility. We must be careful to handle the word of God correctly, using the proper rules of biblical interpretation, not going beyond or falling short of what the Word of God teaches. Again, this is why we send young men to Bible college and to seminary. It's why we don't put in the pulpit or in the teaching ministry of the church just anyone and everyone. We must be very careful. I realize, I realize that as a preacher, as a pastor, I have had my fair share of fumbles. I know especially early on as a young preacher. But even now, I have to sometimes eat a piece of humble pie. And previously as an assistant pastor or as a school principal, sometimes my fumbles are grammar, names, places, dates. Most people have been very gracious to me through the years, even here at Berean. Occasionally I have had people who have been just downright kind of rude in, in, in their correcting me. And I, I'm thankful for the, the Ananias and, and Sapphira's, the Priscilla's and Aquila's of the New Testament who took like an Apollos and helped him and helped young men in the ministry. And I'm thankful for those people in my life who have helped me. And there are times where I, I need a little bit more precision. I need a little bit um, of correction. I'm thankful that I've had those people along the way, and most people have been gracious. I strive, I strive to be biblically and theologically accurate. But that's not just the role of the preacher, though I have that tremendous responsibility, for which I don't ever want to take that lightly. But we all have that responsibility, in one sense, as believers, to handle the word of God correctly. So though I realize I am held to a higher level of accountability, Hebrews 13 in verse number 7, I am held to a higher level of accountability. I will stand before God for how I have handled the word, for how I have shepherded God's church. This is not my church. This is God's church. This is just a stewardship, a shepherding, and I'm going to be held accountable for that. And I take that very seriously. That's why sometimes and many times I come up here with legs shaking and hands shaking because I know the tremendous responsibility. I'm thankful for some of these 
mission agencies, it's very important for us when choosing to support missionaries that we are supporting missionaries who are preaching and teaching the Word of God faithfully, planting churches, training young men to also be indigenous nationals, church planners and preachers. It's very important for us that we are supporting good Bible-preaching missionaries and ministries. And that's why we are thankful for good mission agencies. I, I can't help but think of a Baptist world who has doctrinal committees, deputation committees, various committees where they have, in a sense, the missionaries run the gauntlet to make sure, not because man calls them, but to assure in their own minds before God that this is a person presenting themselves to churches as someone who is affirmed in their call, qualified, and is going to go forth with the word of God effectively, with the call of God upon their life, and they are going to do so doctrinally and theologically correct. That's important. That's why I'm thankful for good mission agencies. And sometimes a missionary will reach out to me, and I will do a little bit of investigation. I'll look into their mission agency. I'll look into what their ministry is. And I, honestly, I won't even bring them in for a, a single opportunity because there's something there that uh, is, is not, to me, in my mind, before God, makes them qualified to be presented before the church. I understand there's a, a place for well digging and that kind of thing, but I want to areas that are going to plant churches and train nationals to pastor and to go forth and support their own missionaries and to plant churches and translate the Bible and have Bible colleges where they're training their own people to continue to plant churches and spread the word. It's important for us to support missionaries like that. It's important for us that we don't rush a young person into spiritual leadership. Young people, we're very thankful for our young people. We want them to sense the call of God upon their lives. One of our burdens is we're seeing more and more missionaries retire and come off the field, and we're not seeing the replacement rates to be equal to those who are coming off the field. I'm thankful in the last year we've had several younger couples. We support some younger couples who are faithfully serving, some of whom are second or third generation missionaries. We're thankful for our young people who are called into vocational ministry, but while young people have spiritual leadership roles, we encourage them to have that in their youth group, in their schools, among their teams, in their, their classrooms. We're, we're, we're wanting them to show, to exercise those places, in those places of leadership. We're wanting them to exercise spiritual leadership, godly leadership, being good testimonies in those places. But ultimately, the positions and the responsibility of spiritual leadership in the church, they come with maturity. They come with the confirmation of one's call and qualifications and the understanding of the weight of the responsibility. There are some young men who they know they have the call of God on their life. They're qualified. They have the ability but there's not the willingness to take on the weight of the responsibility. There are some who they, they quit somewhere along the way because it's, it's hard, the weight of the responsibility. We want 
young people who are called of God, confirmed in that call and in their qualifications, who weighted that responsibility, we want them then to go forth for the Lord by God's strength. And James is saying, among these 12 tribes scattered abroad, there are people who are going to be raised up by God to continue to preach and to proclaim the word of God, to pastor those churches, and to continue to bring those congregations together in a local assembly and lead them and shepherd them. But he's concerned that there are some who are just trying to kind of fly by night, kind of just with the, off the seat of their pants, try to preach and take on leadership roles in the church when they're not qualified, they don't have the maturity, they don't have the call, or they don't understand the weight of the responsibility. Again, for the believer not called to vocational ministry, for all of us, it is important that we be good students of the word. In one sense, in one sense, all of us as believers are to be little theologians. All of us are to be biblically accurate theologians. We are all to be in the word daily. We're all to be good students of the word. We're all to be like the namesake of our church, Bereans, who go into the word to see that these things are so. We need to come together for the proclamation of God's word in a corporate setting that's clearly taught in scripture. But it's also very important for us as individuals to have our regular devotional times and be good students of the word. But James is concerned here that there not be a rush of individuals into the ministry who are not called, who are not qualified, who do not have the call of God or the maturity or the qualifications. He says in verse number one, that those who rush ahead of God, who are not qualified, who are not even confirmed by the church in the laying on of the hands of the presbytery, how important that is, that the church recognizes the call of God in a young man's life to the ministry. And he talks about that, Paul does, in Timothy, and the laying on of the hands of the presbytery as Timothy is struggling as a young preacher in the church and dealing with the stresses and the pressures of the ministry. And he's encouraging Timothy, and he says, don't forsake your call. Don't leave your call. It was confirmed by God through the hands, the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. There are people in the church who recognize Godly men in the church who recognize, men in the ministry who recognize the call of God upon a person's life, a young man's life. And they see that. And that's part of that confirmation of that call. And he's saying, be not many masters because if you rush ahead of God, if you go into the ministry and you are a pastor, a shepherd, an elder, a bishop, bishop, elder, and pastor are the same word. All right, the same person, I should say. Same person. Bishop is the office. Elder has to do with the maturity and the experience and the age. And then pastor has to do with the shepherding, the role, the work of the ministry. But they're the same person. And he's saying, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. You rush into pastoral ministry, preaching ministry, and you're not qualified, not confirmed by the church, 
And godly men who have also received the call and have laid hands on you, so to speak, sometimes literally physically, or through an ordination. I'm thankful for the ordination council that I had. It was grueling as I wrote my doctrinal statement, as I sat on a Saturday morning for several hours before godly men, men who had been in the ministry longer than I had even been alive, and I sat there and I had to answer questions down to the nitty-gritty. It was a grueling task, but it was important. And James is saying, you are 12 tribes scattered abroad. He's concerned about their spiritual maturity. He's concerned about their very salvation through faith alone and Christ alone. That they be not just hearers of the word, that they be doers and that they not run ahead of the Lord and begin mishandling the word of God. Incorrectly instructing, not being good theologians and handling the word of God correctly. And he says, there is a greater condemnation. There is a great responsibility in the preaching and teaching of God's word. And he, he then goes on in verse 2, as we looked at a few minutes ago, for in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. In the context then, there is once again a reminder of the tremendous responsibility and the accountability that will be brought upon our taking the word of God and how we handle it. So once again, I come back to the application and the tongue being an instrument of instruction. What are we doing as instructors in our homes, in discipling others, in our testimonies, in our workplace, where we have opportunity to give the truth, where we have opportunity to disciple our children, where we have opportunities to provoke one another to love and to good works. How are we doing with our tongues as an instrument of instruction? And then we come to verses 3 through 5, and we see not only the tongue as an instrument of instruction, but also the tongue as an instrument of influence. The tongue has tremendous influence. And James, as he often does throughout his book, he uses illustrations. He uses three more. He talks about the bit in the horse's mouth. He talks about the rudder and the ship. And then he talks about the flame and the forest. So verse 3, Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. The bits and the rudder both must overcome contrary forces in order to control the horse or the ship. Now, I'm not a horse trainer. I understand that some of you have experience with horses. I understand that they can be a lot of work to tame, to bring under control. That bit is a small piece in the horse's mouth, but it has a lot of influence. It has to bring, in a sense, a wild beast under control, the rudder on the ship. I know we have nuclear energy, nuclear powered, and we have all the different types of modern technologies. But of course, we know in Bible times, a ship would be driven by the wind, sails and all that, and the rudder and the, 
the wheel and the, the captain's hold there would be the way that the ship was turned. We know that there was the influence of the wind. But again, the idea of the rudder having to bring under control a large ship as the bit has to control a large animal, a wild animal. So the tongue, so the tongue must overcome the influence of our sinful flesh and the world with all of its lusts. A little member, controlling influence, a lot of opposing contrary forces with our sinful flesh, the world, the flesh, the devil, lust the flesh, lust the eyes, the pride of life. And don't we face a lot of bad examples? Don't we see a lot of bad examples? As a matter of fact, the bad examples usually get the headlines. They're usually the ones that are given the microphone. They're usually the ones that, yeah, that's the macho man. He's the one who just cussed out the referee, went after the player on the sideline, or the player is the one who's out there and he's running his mouth and then he gets all the attention after the game. We know, we know there's a lot of bad examples. Athletics, sporting events, entertainment. There are not a lot of big mouths with a lot of bad examples of how to use the tongue, the mouth. Aren't there a lot of bad examples in the entertainment world? Often with vulgarity, innuendos, sensuality. Think about the bad examples on late night television that have made millions through the years, mocking just about everything that's good and right. And often doing so with all types of vulgarity. And then you think about all the comedy tours of all these filthy comedians in their vulgar language, the innuendos, the sewage type of talk, and they make millions. They sell out arenas all around the nation and draw big crowds. And you can't even listen to 30 seconds of their routine because it's so filthy. And yet they are popular and they're given lots of attention. They make sometimes millions and have lots of followers and likes. Their accounts would seem to be successful. And then we can get into social media. Do we even want to go there? <laughs> we get behind a screen and a keyboard or on our, with our thumbs on our phones and all of a sudden now we're thinking we can say anything because no one's going to see us. We would never say that to them in person. Never. But we'll blast them away on the internet. And I'm reminded once again, as I would often teach our students in our digital citizenship class, that delete does not mean delete. Ultimately, whatever you put on the internet is there forever. Now, I realize there are some hard drives that can be bleached, but we won't go there. So we have a lot of bad examples where the tongue is an influence of wickedness, filth, directly in opposition to God. The bit and the rudder not only have to deal with the contrary forces of the sinful flesh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, but the bit and the rudder also affect direction. Horse turning that ship. Think about the tongue and how it affects the direction of our lives and can even affect the direction of others.
angry, spiteful, demeaning words that can drive a spouse, children, others away from us. Think about some of the, and I hate to even bring up bad memories for some, as a father or a mother comes home in a drunken, drug-filled rage and spews all kinds of venom across the house, along with other kinds of hurtful activities. Some of you have had to grow up in that kind of environment. It's awful. Something you never want to live through. Think about the damage that the tongue does, the direction that it sets people's lives and affects the direction of others' lives and damaging relationships and sometimes hurting some of the most precious people in our lives. We probably grew up with that little saying, sticks and stones may break my bones or something like that, but words will never hurt you. Isn't that just a lie? Whoever thought of that? Words hurt They can hurt down to the very soul, down to the very spirit of an individual, of a child. Proverbs 18 and verse 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. What a responsibility as parents and how we direct the lives of our children. And some of us have had to overcome My dad had to overcome a hurtful home where he grew up without a father whose dad would come home. My grandfather would come home in a drunken rage and beat my grandmother. My dad had to overcome the hurt of a tongue that was cruel and under the influence of alcohol and was spewing venom in the home. Proverbs 15 and verse number 1, a soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. The tongue, it demands man's attention. It defiles the body and it destroys. Behold how great a matter, a little fire kindleth. We've known recently in this very year, the year 2023, August of 2023, a series of wildfires broke out in the U.S. state of Hawaii, predominantly on the island of Maui. The wind-driven fires prompted evacuations, caused widespread damage, killing at least 100 people and leaving four persons missing in the town of Lahaina on Maui's northwest coast. The proliferation of the wildfires was attributed to dry, dusty conditions created by a strong, high-pressure area north of Hawaii in Hurricane Dora to the south. An emergency declaration was signed on August 8th authorizing several actions, including activation of the Hawaii National Guard, appropriate actions by the director of the Hawaii Emergency Management Agency and the administrator of emergency management, and the expenditure of state general revenue funds for relief of conditions created by the fires. By August 9th, the state government of Hawaii issued a state of emergency for the entirety of the state. On August 10th, U.S. President Joe Biden issued a federal major disaster declaration. For the Lahaina Fire alone, the Pacific Disaster Center and the Federal Emergency Management Agency estimated that over 2,200 buildings had been destroyed, overwhelmingly residential and including many historic landmarks in Lahaina. The damage caused by the fire has been estimated at nearly $6 billion. 
In September of 2023, the United States Department of Commerce published the official damage total of the wildfires to be $5.5 billion. Little fire, little spark, great damage. The tongue, the tongue is an instrument of influence like a wildfire. So we've seen the tongue as an instrument of instruction, the tongue as an instrument of influence, but also we see, and James doesn't seem to get any less, um, how can I say, pointed. James just keeps dealing with this. And he keeps, like a strong preacher has to do sometimes. James keeps chucking the corn. He keeps plowing deep. And he talks about the tongue being an instrument of injury, verses 6 through 8. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. These are strong words. We just read of a wildfire causing $5.5 to $6 billion in damage on the island of Maui. And all of those agencies and all the people that were affected and all that had to be done to deal with that one fire and all of its damage. So is the tongue. He continues in verse 7, For every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Wow. He doesn't hold back, does he? He doesn't mince words. I realize that James would not make it at a mega church. He would not make it at a prosperity gospel preaching church. It would, just wouldn't go there. James, though, gives us the truth, doesn't he? He has to deal with this in a very strong, pointed way because he knows the sin of his own tongue, his own flesh, and he knows how much we need, obviously, by the inspiration of God and the preservation of God's word. We have these truths written before us today that God knows we need because the tongue can be an instrument of injury. The illustration of fire continues, but then he adds poison. He describes the tongue as a wild animal, unrestrained un, non, or undomesticated. The word unruly even has to do with the same word or the same root word of the word double-minded used in chapter 1. Proverbs 16 and verse 27, An ungodly man diggeth up evil, and in his lips there is a burning fire. Proverbs chapter 26. Proverbs chapter 26. Isn't it interesting that the book of Proverbs has so much to say about the tongue, about the mouth? Similar to what James is stressing, we see the same stress about the tongue, about the mouth in Proverbs. Proverbs 26 and verse 18, as a madman who casteth firebrands, arrows, and death. Just think of the image of that. Some of the rioting that takes place in the streets of our nation, throwing Molotov cocktails, burning cars, smashing out buildings and windows, mass type of mobbery and the crimes that go with it. That's kind of what James is describing here. He says in Proverbs 26, verse 18, this is, in, this is Solomon now by the inspiration of God. 
As a madman who casteth firebrands, arrows, and death, so is the man that deceiveth his neighbor and saith, Am not I in sports? Destructive use of the tongue, destructive, violent use of the tongue and the associated activities, and excuses are made for it. Ah, it's just in sport. Oh, we have a good reason. Don't we see that in our society today? Even with what's going on in Israel and the October 7th massacre of innocent Jews in this excusing of the barbaric, wicked, violent, murderous activities of a terrorist organization. And there are rationalizations of it, excuses made for it. The depravity of man's heart, the tongue will do all kinds of damage. And then, oh, was it not just in sport? I was just teasing. Oh, it's not that big a deal. I had a reason for that. I had a good reason for having to do that. You're the ones that are really at fault. It's, it's strong language. He continues, as coals, excuse me, where no wood is, Proverbs 26 and verse 20, where no wood is, there the fire goeth out. So where there is no talebearer, the strife ceaseth. As coals are to burning coals and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. The words of a talebearer are as wounds and they go down into the innermost parts of the belly. No wonder James said what he said, that the tongue is like a poison. It is as untamable or more untamable than a wild beast. Our, our dog, we, we love our dog. He, he's, he's, a, he's a fairly, he's a good dog. He really is. There are times I wish that we had taken him to obedience school. But really, overall, he's a good dog. But there are certain things that we're never going to tame him. He's an animal operating by instinct. He has no rational mind. There's no conscience there. Sometimes I wish he had one. But here we are as rational beings with a conscience, with a soul, with a spirit made in the image of God and the similitude of God, verse 9. And yet we are unruly with our tongue, unrighteous and evil with our tongue, beyond what an unruly, untamable beast can be like. That's strong words. That's convicting. Poison, he references poison here. Poison is a silent, subtle killer. Once it is ingested or injected, it will get into the bloodstream and other internal organs and cause death or other serious internal injuries. All these different types of drugs and all these other things that are now just so prevalent in our society, they're like poisons that get into the body and sometimes the death is immediate, sometimes the death is over time. And the tongue is like a poison, James says. Think about the poisons of gossip, and backbiting, slander, tail-bearing, complaining and griping that cause unnecessary division, controversy, and strife, and can even split churches and divide up families and cause relationships to be broken and sometimes beyond repair. But what's the antidote for the poison of the tongue? The antidote is a heart that is right with God. Begins with salvation. 
begins with keeping our relationship with God right. So that we have the peace, so that we have peace with God, justified by faith. We have peace with God, but also that we have the peace of God. That will help us control our tongues. When we're out of sorts with God, I'm a man. I understand. I'm a passionate person. I've had my issues with my tongue and still have to deal with them. And I remember some spankings that I got. I remember some tempers that I threw, lost my temper. And I remember having to be dealt with (laughs) sometimes with the board of instruction on the seat of learning. And I'm thankful for that. But, you know, we, we get agitated, we get angry, and then what happens? We begin to lash out at some of the closest people to us. The people that love us the most, we sometimes hurt the deepest. And it's often because we aren't right with God. We're out of sorts with him. So it comes out in our treatment of man. That's what James is dealing with. There with bless we God, even the Father, and there with curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. And James is dealing with this tongue as an instrument of injury. That we're angry with God ultimately. We curse, excuse me, we, we, in our hypocrisy, I should say, we bless God, and then we curse men who are made in the image of God. The antidote for the deadly poison of the tongue is a heart that is right with God, that we have the peace with God and we have the peace of God, and that our thoughts are brought into, into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and that we be Holy Spirit-filled controlled by the Holy Spirit. When we get saved, we get all of the Holy Spirit we will ever have. But does the Holy Spirit always control us? Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. We come to these last few verses in the few minutes that we have left. I've already referenced verse number nine. We've seen already that the tongue... The tongue is an instrument of instruction. It's an instrument of influence. It's an instrument of injury. And then we see in these last few verses of this paragraph, in verses 9 through 12, we see the tongue as an instrument of inconsistency, the hypocrisy of the tongue. He speaks of, in these verses, blessing and cursing, sweet water and bitter, figs and olives and salt water and fresh. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceeded blessing and cursing, my brethren, these things ought not so to be. Doth a fountain send forth as at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either of vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. The inconsistency of the tongue, the hypocrisy of the tongue, it ultimately reveals the heart. Peter blessed God and then cursed when he denied Christ. But he then repented and went out and preached the gospel and became consistent with his tongue. Think of Simon in Acts chapter number 8, who professed Christ, then showed his lack of true saving faith when he asked the apostles if he could pay them money for the ability to lay hands on people in order to give them the Holy Spirit. He revealed with his tongue his heart. Think about we smile at church and we 
shake hands, and those are pleasantries that we should do. We should be welcoming and kind. But how many unkind words came out of our mouth at home before we came to church? How many times did we get angry and get out of line on the way to church in the vehicle, and then we walk in the door and we put on a smile and shake hands and everybody thinks that everything's okay? I've been convicted of that many a time and been rebuked. As I'm trying to get my kids up, and they need to go to church. It's important that they get out of bed and come to church. They need to be here. But boy, it can be a battle sometimes. And if I'm not careful, I'll be out of the control of the Holy Spirit just in trying to get my kids. Well, I'm going to go preach the word. (laughs) Shame on me. But how many times do we fight and argue, and then we have roast preacher and roast whoever saint at lunch? And all the other types of misuses of the tongue that go on. And he's dealing with that. Bless we God, even the Father, but we curse men. The hypocrisy of the tongue. What about at work? Do we cuss and swear at work? Tell dirty jokes? Yet when the right type of people, Christians, come around, we talk then appropriately and use all the right words? Do we claim Christ yet lie? Deceive, use vulgar language, tell dirty jokes and innuendos, and entertain ourselves with all that. Yet we, we're a good Christian. James is dealing with that, the hypocrisy of the tongue. This is, I know this is convicting. This gets right down to where the rubber meets the road. Proverbs 10 and verse 11, the mouth of a righteous man is a well of life, but violence covereth the mouth of the wicked. Proverbs 12 and verse 18, there is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Romans 12 and verse 14, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Ephesians 4 and verse 15, speak the truth in love. Ephesians 5 and verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know what's going to affect the tongue? Ultimately, it's the fruit of the Spirit from within our hearts. The love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the goodness, the gentleness, the meekness, the temperance, the faithfulness, that's in our hearts, that's being produced by the Holy Spirit in our lives, that's ultimately what changes what comes out of the mouth because it's out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So Philippians 4 and verse number 8. Finally, my brother, whatsoever things are true, honest, pure, lovely, just, good report. There be any virtue. There be any praise. Think on these things. And if that's what our hearts are dwelling on, And that is what our hearts are made of. If God is on the throne of our heart and we are dwelling on those things that were just described in Philippians 4 and verse number 8, none of us do it perfectly. But if the pattern of our hearts, of our thinking, of our thoughts, of our inner man is on what is true, honest, just, pure, lovely, good report of virtue and praise, then it's going to affect what comes out of our mouth. The tea bag illustration as I close. You put that tea bag into the water. Whatever's in that bag is what comes out. I was over at a church member's house the other day roasting some coffee. Mm. It was absolutely delicious. 
fresh roasted coffee and it went into that water, that hot water, and it came out delicious. What's coming out of the bag of our life? What's coming out of the roast of our life? It ultimately reveals itself in our tongue. The tongue, it's an instrument of instruction, instrument of influence, of injury, and sometimes even of inconsistency. May we be consistent and godly and biblical with our tongues. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and for these principles that we can see so clearly from James 3. Lord, some of these things hurt. They get down to the joints and the marrow and they're a discernment of the thoughts and intents of our heart. But Lord, we need this, especially in a day and age in which it's just whatever comes out, just express yourself however you want, whenever you want, however you want to do it. But that's not what the Bible says. What we need to have is a godliness of the heart, of the life. And then out of that will be revealed through the tongue, through the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Lord, do your work in our hearts that there's someone here who has no control of their tongue because they do not have the Holy Spirit because they're unsaved. They're outside of Christ. Lord, may today they turn in repentance and faith and look to you and be saved. Do your work in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to walk out of here a changed people, doers of the word.